Good morning to our listeners. Welcome to Tech Central. This is the TCS Plus show, and I'm James Erasmus, and I'm very pleased to be your host today. But I'm also very pleased to have Anna Collard back in studio with us. Anna Collard is a senior vice president and an evangelist of all things cybersecurity at No Before Africa. Anna, welcome. Thanks, James. Good to be back. Anna, you and I have spoken quite a few times, and we've spoken quite often about cybersecurity and the importance of cybersecurity. And I think that our listeners are all too aware of, of the environment that, and the threats that face them. We, we hope they are at least. Um, but are they aware of what's coming? 2023 has definitely served some, some, some gremlins. Um, I think a lot of, a lot of organizations have been on the, on the, on the front foot and they've been quite proactive about what to expect in the cybersecurity world. You've traveled a lot, actually extensively this year. More recently, you were at the World Economic Forum in, in Switzerland at the cybersecurity conference there. And I'd love to hear some of your predictions and understandings of what you think might be relevant to anticipate going into 2024. Yeah, thanks, James. And um, look, I, I always find it difficult to... To call it a prediction because you, you're always wrong. So I'd rather maybe say those are reflections. So I'd rather prefer to say, well, this is the, those are the things that I picked up, um, in, in both at the, the WEF, um, cybersecurity meetup, but then there, there's also a couple of other conferences that I was quite privileged to participate, uh, partake in. Like, in fact, just in Stellenbosch here in South Africa last week, we had the ThreatCon, which brought together um, academia, government, and, and industry, which was really, really good as well. And, um, yeah, and it's just interesting to reflect on these findings. And um, one of the, the biggest things, I, I guess, that I think that we will see coming, though, uh, because particularly with the elections happening in, in the States, is um, more use of sort of deepfake uh, technology, particularly in the in the use of political manipulation, and that's something that's quite worrying, because the accessibility to create these deepfake tools. So maybe just uh, I don't know as a, as a quick explain. I don't know if uh, most of your your audiences they they probably know, but maybe for for anyone who doesn't know, deepfake just stands for a combination of deep learning, which is a a subset of of machine learning, a subset of AI. So using deep learning technology and fake stands for a fake creation of existing um, audio, video, or even image material. So what it, what it can be used for is to create new versions, let's say, for example, of um, a video of yourself. And um, all I need is 30 seconds of your voice, for example, and then I can recreate that deep fake making it say anything I wanted to say, and it will sound like James, even though it, it wasn't you. And, um, you know, like this has been around for, for quite some time, but I think the accessibility and, and you know, the, the sort of the ease of use of these generative AI um, solutions have just made it so much easier for bad actors to exploit that technology for you know, malicious use. And um, most of us would have seen like the fun versions, you know, of the Obama deepfakes or that Tom Cruise version, etc. But um, we actually had, and this was an example that, that um, I was in Dubai as well a couple of weeks ago. And, and the Dubai, funnily enough, they have a minister of, of AI. Um, okay. And the, the, and I forgot, I forgot his name, but, but he, um, he told the story of how he received a WhatsApp um, a WhatsApp voice note of someone that he has dealt with in the past. 
um, telling him about some new, uh, you know, investment opportunity between the Bill Gates Foundation and and the, you know, obviously the, the Dubai government or the UAE government. And it sounded legit. It, it, it was the voice of the person that he dealt with. He then said um, that, you know, and the opportunity sounded quite amazing. <laughs> then that, that uh, contact uh, sent him video material of himself on holiday, which he then thought that was a bit odd because this is like a business relationship and he, he, in the past wouldn't have exchanged that kind of things. But, but he still sort of, uh, you know, was in the, like, believing it. And mm. only when the request was made to transfer an initial amount of money to a bank account in China, he then um, realized, no, but this is like a, a, a very targeted, sophisticated deep fake manipulation trying to defraud him or the, you know, like the, the organization. So that was just one example. And I think we'll see many more. We had like um, the head of the African union. I mean, this was just a prankster, Red right? Um, yes. Yeah, that has been. Um, yes, that's uh, it. Rick, Rick is the, the, the chairman of the African union. Exactly. And, and um, the pranksters create recreating um, fake versions of him and then getting so far as, um, you know, getting into phone conversations with other heads of state. Um, so this is and, uh, this is just a, a that was a prank, you know. But imagine now yeah. being used for you know political manipulation, for swaying um, public opinion, um, really yeah. driving that voter registration. Exactly, voter yeah. uh, and all of this. Yeah. It, it's it's you know we already live in this awful world that is so fragmented and polarized and. These kind of mechanisms just help actors that want that chaos. They purposefully drive that wedge between different groups. Um, and, and that unfortunately makes it, um, you know, that's something that I foresee will be, will, will be used even more so in the, in the next coming month, particularly during the, the U.S. election. And unfortunately, a side effect, hmm, sorry. No, yeah. no, you go ahead. No, I think a side effect of all of this is also that people then start not trusting anything anymore. So we have this complete culture of mistrust. Um, and even when you read authentic news, let's say, or you see authentic material, people then don't trust it anymore. So that's the other side effect that comes with this technology, that this whole journalistic process. And unfortunately, you know, like with social media, the what used to be sort of a journalistic gateway that was in place to make sure we only see um, – you know, properly researched material, probably verified sources, that's been, you know, thrown out the window with everybody now being able to uh, share whatever they want on social medias. And unfortunately, people being emotive fall for that and then share it even more so. So it, it is like this, this is something I also find personally, like probably one of the biggest issues that we faced with. And one of the most, um, in fact, there was a quote that I've, that I used um, by Caldwell um, and and colleagues or, or other researchers and and in their research report they said that deepfakes are ranked as one of the most worrying uses uses of AI, particularly in the realm of political mani manipulation. And I, I would agree with that. I'm sure. And, and I, thanks for uh, laying out that landscape because I can imagine there's a, a number of different agendas happening come, uh, and, uh, on the table going into 2024. It's worth knowing that these are worth considering and putting on that agenda to look, look, look out for, but really understand the context of it. And I think importantly, what you're also emphasizing here is this is not unique 
to any one country, continent, or part of this world. And yes, we may be sitting here in Johannesburg, South Africa, but it's by no means unique to, to us, or are we protected from it? Actually, if anything, especially with our elections coming up next year, we're as susceptible to deep fakes as an example of your cybersecurity um, reflection as anything else. Um, could we talk a bit, a bit about some of the other topics you, you may, maybe want, maybe talk, maybe raising? And I know that you've written about quite extensively recently, which is social engineering. We've touched yeah. on, on AI, and I know you want to go more deeply into that, but a little bit about social engineering, please, Anna. So social engineering is, is the, the art or the science of hacking humans. And it's, it's still, um, today even still, it's still one of the, the biggest, um, or the most prominent or most popular form of, gaining access into an environment is through hacking a human rather than trying to break through the technology. So it doesn't matter what report you read, but in most cases, if there was a data breach, if it's a cyber extortion or a ransomware attack, and whatever it is, it, it very often starts with a person that gets targeted either by, by phishing emails or even nowadays by the phone as well, um, and then install something that they shouldn't be installing or clicks on something they shouldn't be doing or sharing information that they shouldn't. And then once the perpetrator or the, the adversary is on that person's machine, they then move laterally across the environment and steal the data or, or do whatever they want to do. But it, that's, you know, this is the sort of human factor of cybersecurity that we've obviously spoken about quite extensively. Sure. And unfortunately, with... Um, you know, in the past, you could sort of teach people, or educate them about, you know, look for spelling errors and like there's sort of obvious red flags that you would um, look out for in in phishing mm. communications or phishing emails. But nowadays, with um, obviously again, like the the accessibility to generative AI tools, even though if you you know if you go to ChatGPT and you you ask it write me a phishing email, it's not quite that straightforward. Like it has some boundaries built in, but um, cyber criminals do have access to jailbroken versions of that or large language models that don't have these boundaries or those controls built in. And they can then use these automated tools to create much more sophisticated versions of social engineering attacks, uh, be that a, a, a uh, audio, so a voice version, like over the phone or um, a phishing email, and then obviously distribute it um, automatically as well and use um, AI again in not just the creation of the actual content, but also in the, like I mentioned, in the distribution and in the exploitation of possible vulnerabilities that come with that. So it just, like we and on our side, our life got easier by using these tools. So did they, or, you know, is the the, crime, yeah. the, the criminal's um, life getting easier? And it's a double-edged sword. Yeah, exactly. Always is. And I mm. think the, the one thing to... Um, particularly be being aware of is that the and, I, and this is more of a future thing but the the scary thing and again this goes back to this um, use of deep fake technology in social engineering attacks is that you know you can then not just manipulate people for political reasons but you can manipulate them to believe that it's their CEO or the business supplier or somebody else from the company calling them or, you know, reaching out to them or even having a Zoom conversation with them and yeah. uh, you're falling for it. And there, there's been cases already, you know, like there's been actually quite an interesting case of a lady that was um, basically impersonated. So somebody else pretended to be her to get in and, and doing a deepfake version during an interview, got the job, 
only to get on and then steal information. And she, the real person, only found out after the fact when the company that she she didn't apply for herself, but this this other person did, mm-hmm. uh, reached out to say, why are you not pitching up for work? And she said, but I've, I've never started working here. So there are, are oh, all man. these weird um Oh, another like yeah. a, a really example I think that the listeners should be aware of and tell their families about is that it's called the virtual kidnapping. It's again a deep fake version of um which is awful, but like using the voice of your of your child and then creating um you know scenes of distress pretending that they've kidnapped your child and then wanting you you know to to pay. Like again yeah, using right. it as a motive uh, yeah, mm. triggering emotions, mm. yeah. Mm. And the, 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 it really is a is a crazy world. I think you alluded to that earlier. And they are, and these cyber criminals criminals are becoming more and more sophisticated. What we need to do is we need to become more sophisticated. We need to upskill ourselves and actually train ourselves in what to expect, so we can be, we can anticipate it. But we need to be on the offensive, not mm-hmm. just the defensive. Um, so taking that in, into account, what are some of the the the, the guides you might? you know, advise towards in terms of preparing mentally for the space, you know, taking a deep breath and actually really being ready for cybersecurity as opposed to reactive. Yeah. So in, as, a, as an individual or as an organization? I think as an organization actually, but, but yeah. maybe the organization can influence the individual. Yeah. So I think, and this is also one of the other uh, trends that I've picked up in all the, these conversations is that, um, in organizations, we have to stop um, expecting one person or one team to be solely responsible for cybersecurity. It's just not it, it, its not feasible to do that anymore with all these different threats um, coming at us. And if we look at other industries like the aviation industry, for example, they've, they don't blame the pilot only if things go wrong, right? Like you, you, you sort of distribute the risk um, across mm, multiple yeah. departments. And it's the same um, with organizations today is that you, you, you see that cyber security professionals are on, on actually there's been a research uh, done in, in Australia um, that the burnout level of uh, amongst cyber security professionals is higher than um, amongst like first um, emergency responders, which is also very high usually. So the, sure. there really is like a, there's a, there's a skill shortage problem that we have. There's this increase in sophistication of threats and, and, 24 by 7 mm. threats and that, mm. that lack of appreciation or lack of understanding how complicated it is actually to defend. So we have to really raise that up and, and get leaders to understand, to have organizational resilience and, um, you know, and, and well, prepare for this, this future that we, mm. we all have to become responsible in cybersecurity. So it's, it goes beyond just the CISO or the, the security team. And just, to do that, just capitalizing on your example of a pilot, I almost feel as if the strategic priority of cybersecurity positions the cybersecurity experts in one's organization a little bit like air traffic control. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, yeah. and you know, like if, if something, something goes wrong, they have black boxes to look into it. And it's not just, mm. you know, there's so many different, obviously there's a lot of automation as well that's already been um, at play in, in airplanes. So I think we can learn a lot from other industries that have dealt with risk um, for a very long time and, and been doing mature risk management processes. But mm. the, the one thing that, that we can do from an organizational and then you know, filtering it down to an individual level is 
in a way like and we spoke about this before is the cyber mindfulness and i spoke mm. about it the other day about this concept of zero trust which is like a principle we use in cyber security whereby um you know nothing is really trusted so anything that comes in needs to be verified and if we apply that to consumers or to people um consuming content online and we apply like a zero trust mindset it's a little bit similar to the mindfulness mindset where we say, well, instead of just reacting to whatever's coming in, instead of reacting to the emotions that this content might yeah. trigger, let's just take a pause and then verify if um, this is actually authentic. Like whether, you know, it's, if, is, it, is it a request to do a payment? Is it a request to share information? Or maybe I should double check. Or, or you know, I'm, I'm feeling very strongly triggered, you know, like it's like a... Yeah motive content that whether that's political or, or or otherwise um to just take a breather before you share it or before you respond to it um and i i think that this is actually this will this will help us in so many ways you know like whether it's it's um going into future metaverse type environments where we will be exposed to even more of this kind of stuff or <clears throat> having to deal with the current geopolitical you know, conflict where you get bombarded with um, very, uh, let's call it emotive content from both sides. So it's, it's really important to help gain that grounding again, applying that sort of, well, I'm not trusting anything just yet. I'm using like a healthy no. dose of skepticism. It doesn't mean we become completely paranoid. Like we must still, you know, be out there and, and enjoy the benefits that come with, with technology, but just have like that sort of, you know, a healthy sense of skepticism and mindfulness when you, and, and thoughtfulness when you um, consume any sort of content. And, and I was just going to say, I'd encourage any of our listeners to go back and listen to some of our previous podcasts, when, which focus specifically on mindfulness in cybersecurity. And mm. you use the word you know, breathe. It, it, seem, it seems like an obvious statement to make, but so all too often we press send far mm. too quickly or reply all too quickly. Just take a deep breath. Think about what, what you've received, why you might have received it, um, and respond accordingly. And respond with expert level of expertise. So if you don't necessarily, as, a, as the individual or, or the organization, have that level of expertise, find them, seek that guidance mm. before you perhaps press that big, scary red, red button accidentally. Um, and I, I think, I, I think that, that, that as you talk about people being overstressed, and I'm sure that, that, that everyone is, is, is massively stressed, stretched at the moment, um, leading up into the sort of wind down at the end of the year. We've just had a sort of chaotic period of Black Friday and all sorts of other, other activities that, that, that put pressure on organizations. And as soon as one takes a foot off the, pe the, the, the pedal and set, sits back and relaxes, that's when the sophistication kicks in because they anticipate that. Mm. So, so being really aware of the environment is, is what, is what I was you know, alluding to. And that environment is, is not, it, you, you, you can't operate that environment in a silo. And I think the idea that you mentioned about collaboration is definitely something that our listeners might, might want to take into consideration in that your organization isn't a silo and think about how you could perhaps work more collaboratively with other organizations to create a greater force against this evil. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you know, this whole concept of neighborhood watch, that, that is, that's also yeah. a, a perfect example of, yeah 
of collaboration yeah. for safety, right? And we we can't defend against this. We can't expect the government to just do it for us. That's not going to happen, not with our resources. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. but we can, you know, like we do have some really good people in cybersecurity in South Africa. Like a lot of the banks, obviously, they they have fantastic teams, and there is a, there is more exchange between both industry as well as public sector, but we have to do even more of that, you know, like um, do knowledge sharing, work together when there's incidents and and also, you know, do more to um, address the skill shortage. And by the way, this is also like a pathway out of poverty. Like if we can skill up more, more, more kids or more um, people in these emerging technologies, which is where we need more people, um, we, we are providing an opportunity to people that are currently unemployed. Um, mm, yeah. Good point. I love that. And I think that if we could you know, motivate more internships and other types of, type of programs that, that expose the young learner, the person yes. coming into the workplace, people looking to change their careers. And that's exactly, James, I'm so glad you mentioned that it's because I'm, I'm actually involved in, a, in an initiative called the Mido Cyber Academy, which is doing exactly that. We're, we're, and this is sponsored by Nobifor and the, the UK FCDO office for like this year and next year. And then we take 20 or 21 kids out of, um, you know, sort of this, this serviced or disadvantaged environments. And then they go through like a cybersecurity and a life skill crash course. Um, mm-hmm. the, the aim is that they actually have to all write the exam next week. Um, they have to, to do the CompTIA Security Plus. And the idea is then that they're obviously not experts after eight months, but that they are way more ready for internship placements. Um, and the appeal really here to the listeners maybe is to be more um, be more open to taking in youngsters and giving them this experience because that's one of the biggest problems is that companies – they they always want people with experience, but you have to start somewhere. The young person, yeah, right? So give them the the project work, the the internships, even if it's like a, a remote kind of thing. You know, that's what we need more of is that that allowing people that want to become mm-hmm. cybersecurity experts um, expose them to real life problems because that actually helps them more than any other certification. So we we do need internship placements for these kids. They all graduate in February. Um, so if anyone is listening, please uh, reach out or look at mydo.co.za. That's the, the website. Um, yeah, we need internship okay. opportunities. Thanks, Annie. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And I, I, I too know some people who might actually take you up on that because I, awesome. I genuinely believe that 2024 is going to be a year where a lot of the reflections you've shared with us today are going to to, to drive some change, some change that puts us on the map of being um, – very defensive, very proactive about um, our potential threats and our, the risks to our economy, the risks to organizations and the risks to us as, as individuals. So I think these, these are some fascinating insights and thank you very much. Um, just a, as maybe as a closing comment, one of the things you talked about more recently, I think whilst um, at the World Economic Forum was, was emerging markets. Can, can you touch a bit on that, please, maybe as a, as a good way to put a bit of ribbon around this conversation? Yeah, you know, I think, and you mentioned it earlier on, is that these these problems that we faced with are they global problems? You know, the school shortage, the the rise of AI in the offensive use, mm. etc. Um, but we are not excluded from any of that. In fact, we we probably, and this is where you know, unfortunately, we, we without having the same 
resources and budgets that other governments have, that have whole departments that deal with cybersecurity. Um, we are a little bit on the back foot here and we have underfunded and underprioritized cybersecurity on the continent. And that unfortunately puts us on the sort of attractive map for, um, for example, cyber extortionists that will maybe think we like, uh, you know, an easy, easy fruit to easy to, target. Yeah, easy target. Um, so yeah. it's important that we acknowledge that and um, prepare for more, well, you know, realistic uh, threats next year that are coming. We've seen like an, an increase in, in cyber security, um, sorry, cyber extortion or ransomware attacks in general in this region. And I think this is not going to go away. I expect the opposite. So, okay. yeah, prepare for it. Um, hopefully it won't happen, but, you know, it's better to be prepared than, um, you yeah. know. Thanks, Anna. Yeah. And, and I think I mentioned it, it being on the CISA's um, agenda and, and definitely something in planning going into 2024. And that strategic priority is actually everybody's priority. Mm-hmm. It's not just the people sitting in in in, in the um, air traffic control. Have we lost? Thank you. It's not just those sitting in air traffic control, monitoring the situation and have eyes on the ground. It's 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 also people behind the scenes who can anticipate, protect, and not expose themselves or their organisation to undue threat and actually create uh, that more vigilant environment that we all think that we have until it's too late. Yep, exactly. Um, and this has been fascinating, and I really encourage our listeners to to not only listen to this podcast um, through our different channels, either accessible through our website or, or YouTube, but also to share it. Share it as food for thought, because I think the leadership and the thought leadership that you bring, Anna, is, is, is really insightful. And we now have a catalog of really useful um, – Seg- segues into different areas of cybersecurity that you shared with us. And I think that everybody who has access to this should be considering sharing it and making it part of an agenda and also reaching out to Know Before Africa and understanding what benefits there are to upskilling, training, and being cyber ready. So, Anna Collard, for me, James Erasmus at Tech Central, we're very, very grateful. Thank you so much for your time. Thoroughly enjoyed talking to you and look forward to our next chat. Thank you so much for having me.